I'll have to ask her what a podcast is. (laughs) (laughs) A a pod to me is having peas growing, but... uh... I've given up. <laughs> anyway, so what you're saying is you want to interview me, yes? Yes, please, sir. That would be awesome. Yeah, of course, can. Imagine my surprise after I'd emailed Peter's agent that he called me one day and we just recorded the podcast there and then. No script. was an absolute joy and so sit back and enjoy this chat with a true legend let's start off with a a recent role my wife and i were watching danny baker's cradle to grave and we both cheered when you appeared as little legs little legs yeah i went up uh audition with it and uh I, I took an, an old suit from that era. It was an old suit. It was right about 10 years. But they're like double-breasted. And I put a handkerchief in the top pocket and a pen, like, you know, like they did in them days, you know, sort of thing. I put it on. I said, Dan, I bought something with me as well. And I put it on and he couldn't stop laughing. Oh. And, he, and, and the uh, director, was, he said, you got the job straight away. I didn't even go home and wait. He said, you got the job. But it was great, yeah. Lovely programme, wasn't it? It was a fantastic programme. I think Danny was writing some more, but now they've had a little problem, you know. Well, so. yeah, I, I hope. It, it's a, such a fantastic show, you know, it deserves to come Oh, it back. was. And, and we need little legs in every episode. Little legs, yeah, I'm, I'm six foot. I've got, little, <laughs> I've got long, skinny legs. So I, don't know, I suppose that's what they do it. That's what we do in Yeast. And if anyone's short, they call him lofty. And if someone's lofty, they call him shorty. You know, they muck around with everything, you know? You're like a legitimate London acting hero. Yeah, I get I get that even now. And I go out and people, you know, you, I mean, we all get when you're going back, you know, sort of thing. But people like, you're a legend. You're yeah. a legend, you yeah. know? And my sister came, oh, well, my cousin, I've got my sister. She came over to America and was on the underground. And five guys had a little bit to drink, but it wasn't like, you know, pesto or anything. I said, Pete Bill. I said, yeah, yeah, you know. And they'd all shout out on the show, stand up if you like Pete Bill. Stand up <laughs> if you like Pete Bill. I'm the I said, I couldn't believe it. She said, how big was this thing? You know, like, oh. do you know what? I can tell you a thing. I went to Australia, Sydney. Uh, with Wendy Richards and her husband, and I was sitting outside a shop, it was, and a guy come up and he went, Oh, mate, like, real old cockney, you know, like, Oh, dear, he said, Oh, talk to me. So I was out chatting with him, you know, and about a year later, I got a, a letter saying, I heard your voice and I had to come back to my land of my birth. He came back to England. Wow. What a compliment, you know, to... Yeah, well, what was a compliment? Yeah, I don't know why he's, I don't know if he's married. I don't know what his wife thought about it. But, uh, <laughs> he said, I had to come back from that moment. I couldn't stop thinking about England, you know. It was London, uh... Uh, you know, sort of thing. You're still working. You, you still love your industry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got a saying. If you're not on the box, everyone thinks you're in one. <laughs> 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 I took so I said, have you retired? I said, no, I don't feel free to go out. And, I said, do, do you go to the theatre? No. Do you go to, like, cinema? Do you see different things? Do you go to, like, Finch Theatre? No, no, no. 
I said, that's why you don't see me. I went to Holland to do a commercial. Plus supermarkets. I think it's got nine on a million hits on their one. Wow. I, think, I think about, I think about 25,000 on my Facebook page. I mean, you're welcome to go and have a look at it. It was like a short story. It was like how commercials used to be, like a story. Now they're just in your face, you know, car, bang, wallop, technical, and all the rest of it, you know? It's my Facebook. It's, it's Peter Tweetle Dean. Brilliant. Oh, I'll check that out. You can have, you have a quiz. It's only a short one, but it's, it's, it's good, you know? It's, it's my agent said it brought tears to her eyes with my partner. She said oh. it was sort of like, yeah, and it's only a commercial, you know? <laughs> When did you first get the acting bug? How did it all begin for you? Years ago, I got a speech impediment. I did. And I wouldn't talk. My grandmother was uh, at the Jewelry Line Theatre in her life. She was an actress and music author. And uh, she was a child star in her day. I wouldn't go to school. I kept playing the, what we called in them days, the bunk. And... Uh, I went to, as a charity in this thing called Toynbee Hall, big socialist charity from years and years ago. Polly Toynbee is, uh, I think, related to the people. Anyway, I was taught Shakespeare there to try and iron it out. I, I, I mean, I loved it. It didn't bother me too much. But when I went back to school, I got all the parts, lady parts as well. And when one day I was working in Petticoat Lane selling towels and... Uh, sheets and things like that and uh i was up on the stand and i was going and the poop was beating gold and the winds were lovesick with them and penella scales was filming down there she said where did you learn that and i, I was told her and i was talking to her and that she said well you go to drama school i said no i'm a bit too old now she said why don't you go to joan littlewood then if you haven't got time to give it like, like two three years so Anyway, I used to go to a lot of theatre with my grandmother. She would take me because I lived with her, you know, like during the war years and after, you know. Yeah. And uh, anyway, from then on, I I did go and uh, I fell in love with it and I've been quacking away ever since, you know. Yeah. Been different places in the world, Iraq, worked in Ireland a few times. Been quite good to me, you know. Out of something bad, good can come, you know, mm, directs mm. you another way. And I was dyslexic, which I am still a little bit, you know. You just started almost immediately being in hits with Minder and Coronation Street, Shoestring. Yeah. And you just seemed so at home with the camera. So how how did you approach that? Because it's quite an unnatural thing, isn't it, to work with a camera? But you seem to be an act like you were born to do it. I studied a kabuki theatre, which I love, which is, you know, a Japanese form of an acting thing, you know. I, I worked with an actor years and years ago, and she said to me, she said to me, when you get to the camera, make love to it, <laughs> and, and it'll like you. So I said, what do you mean? She said, do you know what I mean? You're one for the ladies. I said, who, me? <laughs> she said, yes. She said, oh, what's you? She said, <laughs> that, she said, and the camera will love you. She don't matter how much a good of an actor you are. If the camera don't like you, it won't like you. And that was Dorothy Black, who was with the BBC Repertory Company. Beautiful lady. I'll always remember, and I always try and give her a mention. Well passed, left her body through medical science and 
just one beautiful lady. Oh. I remember one day I laid in the over the park and I was all pleased with my little self because I had a big brown face looking a million dollars. And I had to go to her for a few lessons and I walked and knocked on the door and she opened the door and she, you know what she said? What? Oh dear, what a rude tan. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, what do you mean? She said, in my day, the paler you was, you was a lady of leisure. She said, the only people who worked in the open or manual labour that have a suntan like you've got, red war. <laughs> I think great, were they? <laughs> oh, she was a she was a beautiful lady. She was Dorothy Black. Oh. Yeah. And so, where where were you in your life when when you got the approach for Wooden Top? How did that happen? And and can you remember where you were in your life and career in in nineteen eighty three? I'd done a thing which uh, a lot of people saw. It was called Law and Order. It was four one hour plays about villains, lawyers. I was living over at Fulham and I was with some friends and that, you know. And they said, I said, come, let's all go out to dinner now. It's the last one. And we walked in a restaurant and a woman broke down and started crying. And she was pointing at me. And I thought to myself, her husband said, it's okay. I said, well, I've just walked in, you know. <laughs> she said, it's our anniversary and we had to stay in to watch this last programme. And she said, that last scene, which a lot of people said was a Shakespearean sort of ending, by a lovely director called Les Blair. Tony Garnett was the producer, you know. And uh, she said she didn't want to come out to eat on her anniversary. And you've walked in the restaurant. Oh. That's why she, she said she, she thought the whole thing was true. Only like Les Blair, Ken Loach, that sort of direction. You know, semi-fly on the wall, you know. Not many close-ups, just like this, just watching people, you know. Yeah, you, I think I think it's on Amazon. I think get it for about two bob. I think. Well, yeah, it's called Law and Order. First episode. I'm not into. Don't bother watching it. <laughs> <laughs> now no, you've got to watch it because that's the setup. But you know, like you know, but uh, yeah, always with Derek Martin. Every time I do something, me and Derek Martin end up working together. <laughs> anyway, that I got the wooden tops. I know, oh, is it Jack Bell of the Daily Mirror? He said, we now have another Dixon of Doc Green. A series should be made of this. They used to call it, they used to do about six pilots a year, I think, the uh, TV companies, didn't they? And used to pick one for, to make a series. That's right. Anyway, I heard no more, and that, that was about it. When I look at your performance in Wooden Top, what, what I love is... I mean, because you're you're the most experienced actor in that mix of of young actors, you know. So you're yeah, yes, yeah. You're doing very subtle little things, but like you know, popping a a newspaper in Mark Wingate's chest, or just just pointing out that the 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 breast pocket is undone on his jacket. But you're always delivering the dialogue at the same time. At the same time, yeah, which I love. I love that sort of uh, like American actors work with a camera. Mm. They, they can hold a camera. There's a scene in the wooden tops where I'm talking to the governor of the police station. It pours a, a scotch. And I said, pour a little bit for me and more for you. And like, it came over, you know? Mm. A couple of people know, they said, well, you know, like, 
Because so, oh, mind you, I was being not a bit naughty, I'll make him look bad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John but, Croft uh, yeah. Uh, played the. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he never got invited back, nor did I. But I've got an idea why I never got invited back because I was a little bit of a rascal when I was younger. And I think someone said the uh, police didn't quite like it, but never mind. Oh, uh, really? Wow. So I heard, but I mean, I, you know, but uh, it's a terrific performance you give. It really is. Yeah, I always played those kind of parts. People say typecast. There's no such thing as typecast now. If they want a humpty back Jewish rabbi, they won't get Olivier was alive today to play it. They go and find one. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he acting, you're acting. Even if I go in a pub and you see someone singing, he might be tone deaf. He's got though to go. Oh, ain't he terrible. I said, would you go up there and do it? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I said, look, because I always clap someone. I don't matter what he does. You know what I mean? Takes bloody guts to get up there. I'll tell you, Oliver. Yeah. When you've got everybody looking at you, seeing it. I remember when I got a couple of jobs I'd done, I thought, in the theatre, you always start off in the theatre. And, and I was talking to this Dorothy Black, who I mentioned earlier. And uh, she said, when you go out on stage, please, just look about 10 to 20 seats up and look above their heads, and everybody will think you're talking to them. And she said, you won't even see them, she says. But just, you see the outlines, you'll just see them, but they will think you are talking to them. Yeah, you know, when you, and I even do it when I've done after dinner speech, you know, a little bit of stand-up. I just look up and look straight up. Just look straight ahead, you know. Mm. Just move your eyes about. And, and that's it. She don't look in the front row, she said, because yeah. they're the ones who can put you off. Not, not for purpose. No. Because they're the ones who'll be unwrapping a suite and you'll see it or yeah. or twisting and turning in their seat, you know, like, maybe right, you know. Yeah. I've done a nice tour with a guy from the Bill, Tony Scanlon. Brilliant actor. Dangerous Obsession we've done, three-hander. Oh. That was great. That was a great experience, that was, with Tony. Yeah. Got a lovely voice, Tony. Lovely singing voice. Oh. It was funny. There's a bit where I was supposed to go up upstage just before the... Uh, interval and of course i have to swap the glass over because he shoots it out of my hand and it breaks anyway i went up there for some unknown reason i put the glass down to take the other one the, the sugar glass i picked up and as i walked down and got to me the other side of the stage i thought i think i picked up the wrong glass <laughs> but i thought what am i gonna do because he's supposed to shoot it out of my hand, you know, just, he breaks in my hand, you know, like, sort of, yeah. as, as, as he shot it. Oh, I thought, oh, I've got to think quick here. So, as he shot it, I dropped the glass. <laughs> and, and it bounced, it went straight into someone's lap in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me and said, what's happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, we had, we had some laughs. And, especially yeah. at Middlesbrough, where we used to go into the... Uh, Next to the theatre, there was this, like, like working man's club. Oh, we used to have a laugh in there, you know, we used to cracking jokes and all that, you know. And Yeah, so that was good fun, that was, yeah, Tony. Oh. Yeah, well, Jack Bell said, Dixon the Doc Green. We have another Dixon the Doc Green. Oh, that's how I try to do that fatherly figure, you know? Yeah. I tell you who else was in it, little Gary Howes. That's right. Who played yeah. Michael Cashman's lover, played the little... Uh, Ragamuffin sort of thing. What's his name? Clips him around the ear. Mark Wingard. Yeah. Yeah. When you were working with Mark and, and with Trudy Goodwin and uh, 
lovely Colin Blumenau. I mean, and Gary Olsen. Was it Gary? Gary uh, That's right. Yeah, he's sadly passed. He passed very young. Yeah, 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 yeah. Could you see their potential and, and can you understand why, that uh, of all the pilots, why that one ran? I mean, it was a good bunch of people. We all gel very quickly. I know everybody says that, but we do. I know work on things where uh, we don't gel. You know, you get tricks being played, the actress tricks, or, you know, the usual thing, fighting for a take or trying to turn someone, this sort of thing. But uh, I just go out there and I don't always get it right. Of course I don't. Uh, I like to play, as you say, as you mentioned it yourself, I like to play with a scene. I'm thinking of things to do all the time. I've done a thing years ago. It was quite, it was an old British Home Secretary. He had a, he said about the Irish problem. It was called Acceptable Levels. Great director. I don't know whatever happened to him. And I, I've done a thing. I had a friend. It, uh, he used to roll his own cigarettes. And it took him about 20 minutes to roll a cigarette. I'm exaggerating a bit, but it seemed like he used to be bit strange, he used to wipe it off the table. And I'd done it. I, I hope to do it again one day. I know you can't smoke now, but I don't but I, but a guy wrote to me and said, I loved it. You you just kept rolling a cigarette in every scene, but you never smoked it. You never even completed it. <laughs> and, you know, and it, my friend he, he used to get a matchstick and he used to poke one end of the cigarette, but then another end, you know, and then he'd look at it and then he and he'd get his tin and, and he'd get the last two grains off the say the table. He he's like Round it up like a shepherd. I round it up with a dog, you know, that's all. And then put it in the, t- push it into the tin. And I've done it, and this guy noticed it. It pleased me a lot, you know. <laughs> I loved it. He was, was in it. Fran, Fran Barber, she was in it. We was in uh, Belfast. It was about the travels. And we was a TV crew in Ireland filming the TV uh, travels, you know. Oh, I love it. Was it was very, very good. Yeah, acceptable levels, it was called. It was shown once or twice when Channel Four started, which which was their like remit to show films that was a little bit near the mark. Or I thought London Live was going to do the same thing. I thought London Live was going to be uh, like young directors coming out, even twenty minute films or whatever, you know. Mm. Anyway, I got the bill. I did play with it. I watched Policeman. I wanted to become over the father figure. I got that straight away. June Brown loves the opening scene because I, uh, I saw it as a bill. She, I loved the, the scene when he was like, when you walked in, like an evening, all sort of thing. Yeah, you were so busy, you know? Mm. I mean, that was scripted, but sometimes I do like, I'm very good at improvisation. I know that. You know, I do like improvisation classes, but. Uh... The episode for you finishes in that lovely. East End pub. I mean, where if people wanted to go now and experience an East End pub like it looked in the eighties, where would they go? Any any recommendations if we wanted to travel back? There's none at all now. Oh, they've all been like closed down. Mm. It's like pie and mash shops, mostly in London now. They've all gone. Yeah, which is the old Cockney Rock. But when you go out of London, they're quite popular. It's like greyhound racing. There's not a one greyhound track in London now. It's just, it's just a change in face, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, no, no disrespect. It's just one of those things. You have to, like, either move with the times or just sit back and 
moan that you know <laughs> keep saying it's not not like it used to be. I mean, I, I, even I've got friends who moved out of London, you know, and they say, "Well, it's not like it used to be round here and that." When they come, I said, "Well, no, because you moved out." Just what do you want to put a blue plaque on the wall? Teddy Blogs lived there, or something, <laughs> you know, and, and keep it empty. They'll move out, and of course, then you get the other thing now. Oh, do you know my house is worth two million pounds? What in Yarmouth? No, <laughs> where I lived in the East End. I said, well, you moved out. Thought, well, <laughs> now you're moaning somebody else has got it. <laughs> <laughs> drive your man, Oliver. Drive your man, people. Just go with life. Have a laugh. How do you feel thinking back now? And was it a nice surprise to be asked to talk about Wooden Top? You know, where does the bill slot into your career? Your are you proud to be part of it? You know, in in that quite unique way. What, what, what in my career, you mean? Or, yeah, or, or yeah. The reason I like the bill, because I, I, I do a bit more action, because I, I like it. That's me, you know, maybe it's nerves. I like doing things. Jack Warner could just stand there and make you believe that he was a lovable father character. Mm. Whatever you see him in, he don't do a lot. Well, I don't say don't do a lot. I don't mean he's lazy. He, his style is, he just comes over as a dad, like as a father figure. And that's what I try to portray in the bill. There's a lovely line you've got in, in Wooden Top. You introduce um, Colin Blumenau, plays a Welsh copper called Taffy, and you yeah, yeah. you introduce him as Cheeky Leaky. He can recognise <laughs> Cole, but he can't play snooker. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah, Cheeky Leaky. Yeah, great. Yeah, well, that was McQueen. I just delivered it, you know. Yeah. You did a few scripts for Jeff McQueen, didn't you? Because you, you also did Give Us a Break. One was even a snooker player, wasn't it? That was yeah, Give that's Us a right. Break. See, with my agent, they, uh, my old agent uh, packed up, you know, uh, retired. Then I went to another agent. She said, Peter, she said, I'd better knock some of these your early stuff off. So I said, well, why is that? You know, I mean, most actors are so vain. They want, they want the whole lot. She said, well, you're dating yourself. She said, remember, they've got to insure, they've got to insure you, remember? <laughs> that was right. Funny, I went to Ireland on something. Then I went to Iraq, and I was at war at the time. Oh, it was a lovely time. Beautiful people love the whole damn place, you know. I said to my agent, look, if you don't want me on your books... Just tell me, stop sending me to war zone. <laughs> Do some filming. Oh, you take nothing serious. I said, look, really? <laughs> just, give me, just give me the check. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what was Peter Grudin like to work with as a director? How was What was his style? But he never pulled me up about anything. You know, he just said, keep going. I like what you're doing, you know. Mm. And, and I suppose being a bit vain, I thought, oh, I might get this part, you know. Yeah. Which I never so so I do believe what a few people told me about you know as my name was a bit of a little cow son when I was young but uh, got involved with a few things I shouldn't have done but that's the point I can't change that but it's all well documented so I don't really take mm. any notice of it so. Uh, but I suppose if you if if you had got the bill you you wouldn't have got EastEnders and so I, I'm guessing you're exactly. happy with yeah yeah so we had a good time on the bill and then. I went into EastEnders. I'd worked with Julia Smith and Tony Garnett, and they'd seen Law and Order, and uh, and I didn't actually become technical advisor, because I do like social history. I know a fair bit about London, you know, and the East mm. End and North London and that kind of thing. 
uh, and Julia Smith used to ask me different things. And uh, I know that uh, when they decided in a place where Ben had to talk to Michelle secretly and that, and uh, she said, Peter, where would you go if you were up to some skullduggery? I said, thanks very much. So she said, <laughs> she used to laugh at that. So she I, I, she said, I've got to find somewhere which will be different. I thought, there two places. I said, because you keep talking about the 80s now. I said, where they could, wouldn't think of where you could talk in private. I, she, I said, a church. She went, mm, where else? I said, along the canal bank. She said, well, I can save money not lighting a church. I'll pick the canal bank. <laughs> that was a thing, you know. So, uh, you know, so that was the thing, you know, and I've been on stalls all my life at the time, you know, working. And the great thing is you only wanted actors and actresses who could walk and talk and do things at the same time. Like Ned, like, you know, who played Ali. His father had a cafe. Uh, Den and Ange had worked in a pub during their drama school days. They, they could make it look real because they'd done it, you know? Yeah. I can remember Jim Brown still talks about this. And you get kids outside the front gate. Well, you know, in June, she would never like, and I won't myself, she'd never drove past anybody. It was to stop sign autographs, you know, mm. uh, and that one of the sunglasses crowd, you know, like, yeah. as, as Beth yeah. Davis said, why well, you wear sunglasses is because no one catch your eye line. But the youngsters used to say, was it really like that family? It's all sticking together and all that. We thought, no, this is only the 80s. When I look back then, you think, I went on the way families have changed and that, you know, like that lovely scene in EastEnders when Michelle has a baby, uh, you know, not even married sort of thing. And uh, I know most of the programme was who's done it, who's done it sort of thing. Even me, I was supposed to give them a lift down the market. But uh, it was this beautiful scene, which Tony, I talked to Tony Holland about it. Anna Wing, who played Lou Bill, we all had to go, me, Arthur, uh, Michelle, Mark, me, Kathy, Ian, we all had to walk in the pub together. It was that like London Pride sort of thing, yeah. you know. <clears throat> and you can't tell people now to have a child out of wedlock in the 50s or 60s, you know, a big sin sort of thing, wasn't it? Like, you know, it, you know, to be, have a baby out of wedlock, it was mm. a, uh, a, a bad thing. It was such a lovely scene, you know, like, uh, but a lot of people missed it because I don't think they... Not the old ones must have realised, you know, but uh, I thought it was just beautiful. Like that, that London Pride sort of thing. We all go in the pub together. So that's what the people think, you know, like, uh, like all the people like sort of in the pub, you know, we all walked in and that was it, you know. I thought it was very, very clever. He was great, Tony Holland. He was, I remember when there was a scene when I, Paul gets a message to me, you better come home and see mum. She's not well, like she looks like she's dying, Dr. Lick says. And then I walked in. It was just before our supper break. And I got to the door in the thing. And I banged my head on the door, just like sort of, you know, like sort of nothing, it sort of thing, before I went through. And I cut for lunch. And the Holland come running down the corridor. He said, keep that in. I said, what? He said, what you done when you sort of, like, push your head against the door? I said, oh, fuck me. What's <laughs> and we kept it in. And, and a lot of people, like, saw that. But I just done it because uh, I think... I've, 
I would have done it in real life, sort of thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? I didn't yeah. want to go and face it, sort of thing. You know, like yeah. There's a genius bit of acting you did on EastEnders because my uh, my lecturer at university was it was a director on EastEnders. He was called Mervyn Cumming, and he did a scene. Oh, uh, Mervyn. Mervyn Cumming. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mervyn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, he he did a. There's an episode where Adam Woodyat is in the van and and Cindy's told Ian that she's going to leave him and he drives off and he crashes his van into a skip. And, oh, and, and I and I shuddered in the pub. You shudder in the pub. And that's genius. He came down and said, "Keep that in, Melvin." Yeah. He, he said, "I said what?" He said, "He said that shudder." He said, "Because you shudder at the same time as the car crash." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, did he mention it then? Yeah, you look like someone had walked over your grave and you're staring that's into right. your that's tank what... card. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant bit of acting. It, it's superb. <laughs> and there was another one where I got dumped a drinking and driving, and uh, I had to sort of cold turkey in the cell. And the director, he said, he kept it on his show reel. He said, he said, he said, I really believe that you like. On cold mm. turkey, sort of thing. He was coming out of a drunken what's her name? If you read the Kabuki, I don't know about the Kabuki theatres. They came over every now and then. It's, I mean, you get kids who are like 14 playing old men, and you really think it's an old man, you know what I mean? Mm. Unbelievable. Oh, I'm glad about that, Mervyn. I remember him coming down. I know exactly where I was sitting near oh, the telephone. Yeah. Oh, that's nice to say that he was talking about it. Oh, yeah, it? very much so, yeah. yeah. He, he used to show it in his, in his lecture. That's, that's pleasing me a lot, that Mervyn, yeah. It, it's, it's things I like to work out. You know, I'm not an actor that just learns me lines. I think, what can I do with that? What can I... Yeah. And that's what I like about Amer- I like American actors. Because they're brought up on the camera. Because the theatre is not uh, so big in the States, is it? You know, and the country's mm. so vast. And most of ours, when you look at the old talking pictures, you can see someone just come straight off a stage, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Just waiting for his you know, No disrespect to them, because it was a new thing in them days, you know? Mm. But, of course, it's all changed now, you know? There's a true saying, which... Uh, it, it's when you're delivering a line... If I said to you as a director, can you say to be or not to be? That is the question. Well, most actors or actresses will say to be or not to be, and then pause. That is the question. No, 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 don't do it like I tell you. I talked to a lovely little actress I work with at Christmas time. I said, just say, to be or not to be, that is the question. She said, but why? So I said, because it's a well-known saying, and the audience will say it before you say it if you pause. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Don't give, them, don't give them chance to think it. Just say, to be or not to be, that is the question. I love it. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's so bloody true. I've played it so many times, you know. You clearly uh, do a lot of homework as an actor. From what I'm hearing here, you, you really, you, you, you work you work hard on your craft. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I have, because everything's money today, I've had a few directors say, oh, I hate thinking actors. You know, <laughs> I might say, I might say, well, can I do that? Don't you think so? so I go, oh, just, just do it. Just do what I've said. I go, all right, so, all right, you know. I never, I go, it sort of like bottles me up a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I don't like thinking actors. Just do what you're told. Okay, then. <laughs> oh, <God>. You know. <laughs> well, well, I do do my own work. I, I do, you know, but 
Sometimes it works, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, Oliver. You know, we win them all, but uh, it's like what you told me about Mervyn and yeah. other things people notice. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love that. I know when I scotch, I suppose it's for me a little bit, you have a big bit. And afterwards, I said, what do you do that for? I said, well, you're the governor. I said, you know, you've got what that means to you. Because <laughs> he only gave me that influence that I looked at it and looked at his, but very quickly, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but since then, I've been like, you know, jobbing about. I do. I love Fringe. If I get, I, I, you know, I'm not too big-headed. A lot of young actresses or young actors, they say, hey, can you do so-and-so for me? I go, yeah, if I'm not working, I'll do it. And I always accept the first job that I do. I remember once, I was with my old agent. I, I said to a guy, he said, want to do two-hand a bit of it? Let's blow this thing. And uh, I said, yeah, let's have a look at it. I mean, we know we've bunged it about a bit. I done about four nights. But in the meantime... A, a part came up in a film, and at the time it was about £900. So, so I, said, I said, no, I'm doing something on the fringe. She said, well, you said, well, turn that. I said, no, I'm not going to turn it in. I said, I'm not going to let someone down. Yes. You know, something it works against, something it works against you, but you can't win. No. It's like I, I, if, I go, if I go to the theatre to see friends, I pay the bill. You yeah. Some actors, oh, if I'm in a play, like, oh, can I come? Or can you get me a, a, a Phoebe and that? I said, you all moan about the government don't put any money into the business because <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah. want to pay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they, they all want something for nothing, you know. Yeah. But the next minute, we don't mind the taxpayer got to lobby it up, you know. Mm. We'll just pay and help, help, help the people out in top of the King's Head or wherever you are, you know. Yeah. It was a lovely story. I don't know if you know Tony Phillips. He was, he was married to Jonathan Ross's mum, you know, God bless her, she's tired. We'd done a thing called Spiffs, what he wrote. We was at the King's Head lunchtime, and uh, it, was, it was about two spears sitting in a cafe, and t- you know, talking about uh, selling out of a suitcase and all the rest of it, you know. And then one afternoon, I'm like, this is no word of a lie, Oliver. Two people came to see it. So Tony said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I said, they paid their money. I said, if you give it to them back, if they want to stay, they can watch it. So... He said, okay. He went down. He said, Look, you're the only two that come up to see it. He said, but Peter said, like, do you want to, we, we don't mind performing it. Because straight away, I thought there's only two people I can muck about with this thing. Not muck about, to send it up, do different things, you know. So when we got it, they, they came in into the theatre part. And I said, Look, Tony, let's put them on the stage with us, sit on the next table. You know, because we sit at this table all the time, like drinking a cup of tea, well, a mug of tea. So <laughs> they sat on the stage with us. <laughs> anyway, at the end of the play, <laughs> at the end of the play, they said, "Oh, we loved it." They said, "Like, you know, so we said, so you come all this way to see it, like they come to South London." She said, "No, it's not that." She said, "She said we come to see my husband's dentist, but he's away on holiday and he's not open." Oh. He said, so we saw that you was in this play and we thought we'd go in and see that. <laughs> <laughs> so if the dentist had gone away, we would have no money left. <laughs> <laughs> we still laugh about it being so yeah. you know, like, yeah. yeah, fucking good, isn't it? I love it. That's priceless. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great story, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, acting is great, you know. 
I'm not the sort of actor that, uh, I, you know, I've got a white van. I, I, I use it when I'm not working. It's for removals. Work for a florist friend if she's busy and the record drive's got too much to do. Yeah, I, I, I just carry on working. Well, friends of mine's done a bit of painting. And then when I get a job, I go off and do it, and that's it. Yeah. But I'll get fed up with actors saying, oh, well, I'm an actor, I can't do that. A friend of mine was done security on the films. If he used to call me in, you know, to cut the week's work, if you're not doing nothing, yeah, I'll come in, you know. Yeah. And even now, I get people say, what are you doing that for? I've got, I've got one answer. Do you want to pay my bills? If you don't believe all that rubbish about people earning this, that, and the other, you know? That's about how I conduct my life, really, you know. I love it. I, I studied Buddhism. So I've been a nicer person over the years. <laughs> my aunt was at the Palladium and at different theatres. She was in Denmark when the war broke out. That's my dad's sisters. She was on the stage, you know. So it does run in the family, you know. Yeah. My nephew, he's like me, badly dyslexic. Uh, I'm not too bad, but I do get muddled up sometimes. That's why it makes me work harder. I mean, I pick up things over the years. People say, how do you learn your lines? Like, you know, I have to like, work like anybody else. They said, what do you do? I said, well, I was always told, never learn anything sitting down. Walk about your flat, saying the lines. What you've got to remember is your room... You can walk round it. If there's a coffee table there, you won't bump into it. Yeah. You should be on stage. It's your home, that stage. He said, leave the radio on. Because if anyone coughs in the bloody theatre or faints or anything, you can carry on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just little things you pick up over years. Actors keep everything to themselves. But I try and what I've learned off of that people pass it on to somebody else. You know, if it helps. I think I read, I think it was Gilgood or Olivier, I think it read somewhere, said if you get a part in Shakespeare, long speech, if you get on the train and go to Edinburgh, and I've done this, you can get your script, and not only will you learn your own part, I mean, you've got to learn the other people's, even if you learn their bloody, uh, your cue line, you know, as long as you, with Shakespeare, like, you, you get on the train, he goes, it's the beat of Shakespeare. It's great. Well, you talked about walking around the flat layer of lines because in Wooden Top, you had to do a lot of walking and talking, but with the camera following you down corridors. Following and... me, that's it. Yes, exactly. That's why it, and it paid dividends for me. Yeah. This actor told me years and years ago, you know? Yeah. Walk around, don't sit down. And, he said, and also, I was told by an actress, she said, because we talked about I don't sleep quite. I'm not a very good sleeper. If I wake up, I've got to get up. And I always wake up at three o'clock, roughly, three and a half past two and three o'clock. She said, I always wake up my alarm on three o'clock, read my lines, go back to sleep, and it's in your subconscious mind. And I've done that, and that works. Wow. And I write them down, you know, and you that lovely story. And Danny LaRue, he said, when you take your bow at the end, walk out, show me your face, put your head down and walk right down the stage and don't put your head up until you get to the end and go, <laughs> and, that, and when your head goes up, they'll go with you. <laughs> I'm giving all my secrets away now. Yeah, right? it's <laughs> good. Gold dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, how about the future? What What are your hopes for the future? What Are there any shows that you'd love to add to your CV? Anyone you'd like to work with? Uh, I don't mind who I work with. That, that doesn't really bother me. I've usually learned from them what to do and what not to do or that. I, I, I would love to play the drunken porter. I mean, it's not the greatest, biggest part, but I just... 
I know I went for an audition once. I was, it was years and years ago. It was uh, Herbie Wise was the director, and he'd done a thing. It was uh, Julius Caesar, and it was done modern day as a board of directors. You know, it was all in it. In Haggerston Hall in Oxford. Oh. It, it was good. It was just like people stabbing each other in the back to, you know, kind of phrase like a board of directors. <laughs> a clever man, Herbie Wise. But we were mucking around, and we were doing Julius Caesar once, just mucking around, and he said, uh, I've come to praise Caesar. And, uh, of course, they all had to do Mark Antony, you know, that big speech, you know, let's slip the dogs of war. But we were watching each other do it, you know, and it was, uh, you know, standing there, oh, I've come, you know, let's, let's slip the dogs of war, you know, I've come to bury Caesar, not praise him, you know. And I thought, oh, about four people, five people, I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is my friend. He's dead. And I've done it softly. I've bent, bent down. And I said, I've not come to bury Caesar. I've come to praise him, you know? Mm. And I've done the speech. And I, and I was wiping the blood of the guy lying down. And I said, I looked at him and I said, you've let slip the dogs of war. And he, he couldn't believe it. He said, oh, he said, that is brilliant. He said, where'd you learn it? I said, I didn't. I said, I learned it just now. I said, I wasn't going to go. I said, with my accent, am I going to go and play bloody? <laughs> I said, the only place I'll get Shakespeare is in the bloody pub down the Mile End Road, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people said, why don't you work on your accent? I can put it on a bit, but, you know, I play working. I've got, I've got an East End face, working class face, so I'll get working class parts. No, yeah. no, that would bother me. I love them. I love yeah. them, you know. But uh, I remember Timmy West, Penelope Scales. I said, why do I always get the bleeding, you know, when you're young, you want to, you know, why do I always get all these parts? He said, when they want a bumbling idiot, they send for me. And remember, <laughs> Peter, if you don't do it, somebody else will. And if I don't do it, somebody else will. And I've got bills to pay. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, this afternoon, I, I, I was just coming out of Tesco's. I was walking up there. And the guy said, me, are you an Arsenal supporter? I said, well, yeah, why? He said, no, I've seen you over there. I said, no, not me. I don't go. I said, but uh, I used to. I said, but I mean, for years. He said, no, it's Pete Bill, I said, yeah. <laughs> you're like, you know, I've been on airplanes and people have stopped me, you know. Wow. As I say, you're not changed a lot. I don't know if I've gone great since then, but uh, EastEnders was a great start. It was a great, uh, I know when it started, they had a storyline that if it wasn't a success, Julia Smith had a storyline. She told me they was going to build a motorway through Albert Square. Oh. Yeah, that was going to be the get-out, you know. Oh. And of course, it, it took off. The public loved it. But I put it down to it was the past. And of course, mm. they got this thing where... I suppose they've got to, really, when you think of it. They drag it into the future. Coronation Street, when you had the... You know, Martha and Ina in the in the snug bar. Mm. After people wouldn't know what the snug bar was now. You know, like... Uh, it was uh, in the past, you know? Yeah. People like to be... I mean, even now, I mean, some, do something with Victorian times or Edwardian times. Everyone's glued to it. They yeah. love the past. None of us want to live in the in the present, do we? I mean, it's not the nicest place to be at the moment, is it? Half no. the country hates each other and hate everywhere. I don't like this one and don't like that one. And he's got the wrong religion. And then, oh, dear, he drives me up the wall, you know, about... Mm. But anyway, that's about it, Oliver. Bless you. Pleasure, matey. I wish you off, Mrs. Treacle. Wish you well.
My huge thanks to Peter for sharing his memories of Woodentop and his career in general. And also my huge thanks to Peter's agent, Joe, who very kindly set that interview up for us. I am quite proud of uh, how that one has turned out because, uh, as I said in the intro, it's completely unscripted, unprepared, just having a chat with an absolute legend. So, Peter, if you're listening to this, thank you ever so much for making it so easy to talk to you because you're just a lovely man and uh, I loved your tricks of betrayed. I'll pass you over now to another legend mighty Suzanne Maddock to read the credits for this episode. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. Bye for now. Hi, this is Suzanne Maddock and you've been listening to The Bill Podcast with special thanks to Peter Dean. Produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Paul Dunn and Alex Mockler. Executive produced by Rob Ayres, Joseph Beaver, Daniel Christopher, Luke Hegarty, Benjamin Hughes, Edward Kellett, Justin Pitt and Tom Sherrington.